a stretch run sit down with Braden McNabb on SLGND, the Sheriff Lawless and Some Guy Named Dave podcast, presented by the D Hotel. An original Golden Knight defenseman, McNabb discusses his recent return from injury, his perspective on playoff hunts, and how his game has evolved through five seasons in Vegas. And with 11 games left in the regular season, we address the playoff picture, the Knights' recent play, how they've strung five wins together, and goaltending, how will the duties be split for Robin Leonard and Logan Thompson. It's all here on SLGND, the Sheriff Lawless and Some Guy Named Dave podcast, presented by the D Hotel. And now... Here's Dave. All right, Dan, I've missed that. It's been a while since we've done one of these efforts, but we've been busy. Everyone's busy. The Sheriff Lawless, some guy named Dave Podcast, coming to you from our studios in downtown Summerlin. Three and a half weeks to go for the Golden Knights, the push for the playoffs. Uh, They are in hot pursuit of a playoff spot. Heading into these final 11 games, a jam-packed show, including right off the bat, we're going to visit with Braden McNabb. He's been a mainstay on the blue line for the Golden Knights, just recently back from injury. And he joins us as we check in with number three on SLGND. It's been one heck of a season for this group. You've got 11 games left in the heart of the playoff race. Uh, What's your assessment as to where you guys stand right now and what it's going to take to grab one of the top eight spots in the West? Yeah, uh, well, a lot of adversity this year, but I think, um, you know, we control our own destiny right now. We got... Uh, I think 12 games or whatever it is. 11. 11. Okay. Right here in yeah. front of me. Yeah, right there. 71. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, you know, we're we're going into every game. We go, we're going to try and win, you know, every game that's ahead of us. And um, we got to take it one game at a time. And, you know, we got to take care of business tomorrow. Do you find it this time of the year, you guys are used to already being in a playoff spot, but uh, this year's kind of every game carries that much more weight magnitude. Uh, is it... Obviously, it'd be more fun to play if you're in, but does it add to these games making a little special where, you know, you don't have time to just take a game off here through the final that are left? Yeah, no, we're in playoff mode probably for since probably 15 games left or 16 games left in the season. So every game feels like a playoff game for us. You got to prepare yourself, you know, you know, do whatever it takes to win, block a shot, you know, hit and make hard, make it hard on top end players and, you know, you know, when we win and when we get in, you know, it's going to be good for us. You know, we're playing at this high level right now and, um, you know, it, it'll definitely be a benefit when, you know, when or if we get in. How does this run down the stretch compare to previous Golden Knight stretch runs? Uh, Yeah, I mean, like, yeah, it's uh, usually we're, you know, we're usually in at this point, you know, and trying to fine tune our game. Um. But, you know, it's one of those times where we're going to have to need to go on a run. And, you know, we've done it before and um, we got to stick to our system. And uh, when we do that, we're pretty successful. So we got to we got to continue to do that. You had yesterday off. You live in Vegas. What'd you do? Uh, yeah, it was sunny and sunny and 75 or whatever the saying is. It's it's great. Uh, uh, go to the golf course, play a couple holes, um, hang out, take the dog for a walk. It's it's great to just be outside, kind of spend the day outside. You just missed some time with injury, and you're a guy that's been real durable. I'm looking here. I mean, you play 81 games, 76 games, 71 in the in the in the pause year. To miss games, what's it like to be around you? during that period of time when you're not able to play? 
uh, you know, you can turn it off. You know, you know, you're not playing. So, you know, you come to the rink, you do your work to do whatever you need to do to get back, get back in. And when you get back in, uh, or prepare yourself, you know, the best you possibly can to be in shape. So it's a easy transition when you're playing. So, um, you know, I can turn it off and, you know, you get pretty bored. It gets tough, tough watching games and it gets frustrating, especially when the guys go on the road, you kind of, you know, get pretty bored and try and find stuff to do. But, um, you know, fortunate for me, it was an injury. I could get on the ice pretty quick and maintain and keep my body in good shape. So it made the transition a bit easier. When you're not in, you know, you're not in the room during the game, I'd imagine. Where are you during games? How do you watch the games when they're at home? Uh, you can go upstairs uh, in the press box or you can stay down in the room. I mostly went up and watched, um, you know, there's sometimes where you got to do a workout or something depends on the time of the game, but yeah, it, it's nice to go up. You see the game game looks a lot easier up there for sure. <laughs> a lot of time and space. So, uh, it's good. It's good to learn. And, um, it's nice to see the game from that angle. Is the press box more crowded than it perhaps normally is? <laughs> <laughs> it was, yeah, this time. And yeah, you learn they got some pretty good snacks up there too. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. Is it when you're up there watching? And I'm just saying this from past experience. Do you do you watch certain players, the like opposition, or on your team, and then kind of run that scenario through your head, kind of visualize what you might do? Or are you not that in tune with the game, or just watching? No, I watch it pretty close. Um, you know, I kind of watch it overall, the whole game itself. Um, there is situations where you know plays happen, and you know, obviously, you see the right play and what the guy should have done for sure but or you see a you know there's guys like you know when Stoney's playing and you're watching up there you see what the play should be and he makes that play you know it's it's pretty incredible so it's like I said before it's just it's nice to see it from that angle the uh, Golden Knights I'm going to take a, a stroll down Amnesia Lane here Braden okay All right. so you play uh, in Buffalo then you're with the, the Kings for three years and the Golden Knights grab you in the expansion draft and you hear your name called and you're thinking what well when it was called i already knew by then you're but here yeah i was here so but, but you when, know you're going to be moving on yeah so when your... rob blake called me it was i was actually on the course uh, <laughs> <laughs> but so yeah a trend here. yeah yeah um uh I I kind of had an I actually didn't ha- I didn't think I was gonna get picked up I kind of knew it was m- between me and a couple other guys off the Kings, um, but I didn't really think I was gonna go and then I got called and uh, honestly didn't know what to think it was they asked me to come down and you know I I said yes it was a bit of a headache getting here but it was it was fun once I got here um, but honestly I, I it happened so fast and it didn't really feel real till we got almost out of training camp, you know, and started playing games. So, um, you know, it, it was a whirlwind, you know, coming to camp. It was cool, different experience coming to this city. You don't really know much about this city when you come besides the Strip. And then you get to experience, you know, Summerlin and uh, stuff outside the Strip. And, you know, really quickly, you know, kind of became home and started to love it. I, I asked it in the framework of you're one of six guys left from from the original team. And, uh, we had you, I believe, on Nighttime and Noon not long after you had signed your contract extension here recently. And I remember you saying you, you weren't sure you were going to make the team the first year. Can you kind of take us through that part of your mindset? Yeah, I mean, we had 13D or something. <laughs> I I don't know. And, you know, they were all pretty good defensemen. And 
I was, you know, I kind of had a tough year the year before I was, I got hurt and my year was up and down and I didn't get a whole lot of points that year and whatnot. So I, I was pretty uncertain. And then I think I only played two preseason games and a lot of other guys were playing three or four. So it was, uh, yeah, I, I didn't really know. And, and then I think Theo got sent down, I yeah, believe. Yeah, right. and, and then in Tucky. And then I kind of just got slotted in there with Ango. And I knew it was my opportunity and I wanted to, you know, make it stick. And, um, you know, I think I did. I think I actually did get scratched a couple other times at the start of the year. But, um, you know, I knew it was an opportunity and I wanted to run with it. I just want to, we talk a lot about the head coach. And for you, from perspective, talk about Ryan McGill. How, how, how beneficial has he been for your career since coming here as a guy who looks after the defenseman? Yeah, he's been great. Um, you know, in L.A., I, with John Stevens and Daryl, and even the L.A. organization, they do a lot of development stuff. You know, I learned a lot there. I uh, learned a ton. Um, they helped me a lot, but it kind of almost became a little overbearing. It was everyday kind of thing. Um, but then when I came here, I think, Gilly and the coaching staff kind of understood that and I was pretty in tune with my game and he just let me play uh, you know he would touch base with me when you know he need, needed to and when it was time to but um, you know he's been awesome that way with uh, letting me letting me run and play my game and um, you know usually when he comes up to talk to me I already know what he's going to say so it's it's been a good relationship. It, like, did, did something click? For you here, you know, the LA left you exposed. So uh, I can't imagine if <laughs> there was an expansion draft now, uh, Vegas leaving you exposed. You've become, you're such an important part of of the blue line and what they do here. Did something change for you here? Did you, uh, Gilly talks about like the pilot rule, right? Like you got to have so many hours, but you are well beyond that. Like why the change? Why did you go from a, a good player to a great player? Um, I think it was just my role was just set in stone, you know, in LA, I maybe could have was, I was kind of transitioning from, you know, in junior, I had good numbers as an offensive guy. Buffalo was there. I was trying to be an offensive guy, power play guy, LA. I think my first year I got some power play time and then that kind of stopped. And then when I got here, my role, you know, I never really did play against top end players in LA that much. A little bit my second year with I was paired with Drew, um, but once I got here, it was yeah, you're a defensive guy and you're good defensively, and you're going to play against top end players. and And you know, I got excited with that role and kind of just ran with it. What was it like to be paired with England? What did you take out of that partnership? Yeah, he's a veteran guy. He's been around a long time. Uh, he gets it, plays hard. You know, he's tough as nails, obviously. Um, and, you know, he's he's older, and honestly, he's probably moving the best he ever moved in his career. So it was, uh, you know, that whole year was was awesome. Everyone had great years. But, yeah, Angle, he was, he was awesome that year. When you think about different partners, playing with Derek Anglin, it seems to me would be different than playing with someone like Shea Theodore. What are the differences? <laughs> Well, yeah, Shea is, uh, you know, he's you know fantastic player. He's a top 10, top 5 D-man in this league. And, you know, he's really good at playing his offside. And he moves so well. You know, his weapon is his legs for sure. He's up and down nice and look, makes it look so easy. And, um, you know, when I'm with a guy who can move that well, it makes life easy on me. I 
you know, get him the puck and he gets going and, you know, I'll take care of our own end and, you know, support him as much as I can. So a little different styles between him and Ango and Ango might be a little tougher when it <laughs> comes to that. But I uh, know Theo, it's been it's been awesome playing with him. It's been, uh, uh, you know, it's been a pleasure being his partner. And, and the other side of that coin, how do you think he benefits from playing with someone like you? Yeah, I think, you know, I think I talk pretty well when I'm on the ice too, which, which helps, you know, we're pretty familiar with each other. We've been together for a while and, um, I think he knows that, you know, I'm good at my own end and I can get pucks out and, you know, gives him, you know, time and space to, you know, worry about getting up the ice. And, and at the same time, I try and help out, help him out in his D zone as much as possible because he's, you know, play being a, he's a big part of our, you know, defensive end. So what did you see when Marcia so falls down in overtime and he's on the ice with Will Carlson and Shea Theodore? What did you see from there? Uh, it was an old boy experience. <laughs> 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 well, looking at it now is pretty funny. I saw it after the game and it's Marchie just disappears for a couple seconds. <laughs> so it, it was pretty funny that way. But um, yeah, if it was kind of all of a sudden we have a two on one, three on one almost. And, you know, March makes a good play to get it past uh, Myers, I think it was, and Theo was able to just whack it in. Yeah. Have you ever met Vaclav Nedimansky? No, I have not. He's the reason you're a Golden Knight. He was the guy that L.A. was his team. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Okay. So he's I the first Czech player to ever defect to North America. Was a fantastic player for uh, in the Czech Republic, and uh, L.A. was, uh, was one of his teams. Okay, so he would cool. have watched you. A lot that year and when George and Kelly got the list he would have I, I was lucky enough to sit in the expansion uh, draft room a couple of times and it was fascinating to see the scouts that had watched they had the, when they when they would start to talk about a team they would be he would be like this is the guy we should get and would have broken down a bunch of things that he saw about you and uh, and and why they should draft you well, that's wow. cool. You know, you always wonder what, what goes on in that kind of scenario. So, How did that happen? Yeah, it's kind of cool end up here. you're able to sit in that. Hey, yeah, uh, you grew up in Saskatchewan. You put on games and you watch who? Uh, you know, I was a big goalie guy. You know, Patrick Waugh and Colorado Avalanche. Even, you know, Joe Sackick, that whole team, Forsberg, Blake, Ray Bork when he got traded there. And then uh, and I kind of transitioned to Calgary a little bit when they w went to the finals against... Tampa um, but you know I was kind of torn because uh, Corey Sarich is from Davidson where I'm from so we ended up winning and brought the cup back to Davidson and it was a pretty cool experience being that you know that's great what's the name of the rink in Davidson AEG I think arena now <laughs> no I kidding. believe it's uh, yeah it's it's changed <laughs> hey uh, last one for you I guess Braden um, you guys have um been kind of a team since year one that the expectations are sky high coming off that that miraculous year what's it like to be on a team that has the bar set as high as this team does not only from within but also from the outside yeah i mean you know that's how we wanted to establish it um right from year one and you know we're got that uh you know we're winning franchise and you know not making playoffs is unacceptable and uh, we know that and you know it's good to have those expectations and you know handling it is another thing and you know we have done a pretty good job of handling it we've had crazy adversity this year with you know everyone's had COVID but we've had COVID and injuries and you know our lineup's been depleted a lot so you know if we can find a way to sneak in and you know that'll be you know huge for this organization. 
Thanks for joining us here. We appreciate it very much. Yeah, thanks for having thanks, me. Braden. Thanks, thanks Braden. Thanks, guys. Yeah, great to have Braden McNabb with us, guys. You know, he's uh, he's been a heck of a story. You know, he, he wasn't sure if he was going to make the team, like he said, in year one. He did more than make the team, and he's been a mainstay on that back end. And it's been interesting, Shane, since he comes back from missing significant time. Alec Martinez, we know how much time he missed uh, over four months. Just the impact of those two guys here, especially over the last four, four or five games anyways. And what really sticks out with me is, you know, he was asked, when did he know? And about understanding the role. I think that's so important in a player's career when you can really identify with your role and master it. And I think that's what Braden McDab has done. This is a guy that he said, you come in with numbers, where are you going to fit in? It happens with so many guys. And when they can't, can't, you know, define their role. A lot of times they can't have a career. And Braden McNabb's been doing, been able to do it masterful. Uh, you know, his ability to block shots, be physical, be, you know, a defensive defenseman, great on the penalty kill. You know, he's not going to be the quickest guy, but a great stick. And the same can be said for Alec Martinez. You know, even though he's got a few age, those guys are able not only to define their role, but they're able to adjust it with age. You know, Martinez is a guy that, you know, is strictly power play and, you know, he'll eventually get back on there, but he can, that's why he can come in after missing so much time and barely miss a beat. Those guys come in, it's not trying to do too much. They understand, I go in, I do, you know, A, B, and C, stick with that. Then I'll add D, E, F, whatever it is. They add those points to their game, the layers as they go, as they get more comfortable, but they don't look out of place because they understand. And boy, have those two been so important for this team. And, you know, no better example than just seeing how different the team looks defensively and offensively because you're spending less time in your zone. So if you're spending less time in your zone, you've got guys that can block shots. You've got guys that can break the puck out, subtly break the puck out under pressure, that alleviates it. Then all of a sudden, well, you got the puck more, so you're going the other way. So just, uh, just tremendous impacts for this team, both those players. It, it seemed like those 13 games that McNabb missed, you're reminded of just how meaningful he yes. is. He's not making highlight reels other yeah, than his block he, shots. Yeah. And he's one of those players, his best games, you're not really talking about him. You're talking about the guys who score goals or whatever, but what he does is so important. The question I was going to ask, Shane, and I'm not sure it's the right framing, He's now 31 years old. So when he got here, you know, he had not yet turned 26. Is it growth? You talk about different aspects of his game. Have you seen him grow or is it better framed as adding aspects to his game? What's the right way to look at that? I've seen him become more of a pro, right? So there's certain elements he understands what he needs to do, take care of his body as you get older. (laughs) Not that 31's old, but in this league, it's starting to be, right? So, you know, you can watch Braden McNabb, and anybody can, and I've heard a lot of people say, well, you know, is he quick enough to play against top lines? Well, maybe what he does better than anything is you watch his angles, you know, he's never going to cut an angle to the wall. He's going to cut more back towards that near post so he doesn't lose a step. And his stick, it, it's like a go-go gadget with any inspector ad, gadget. I'm probably uh, <laughs> aging myself, but go-go gadget stick. He's got such a long, good defensive stick, and he utilizes it so well without taking penalties. So I think those things of his game he's added as he's gotten older because you have to. As you get older, you get you understand the league. You, you're, you're smart. You understand your game and the things that can make you better, and the little things you continue to add, even though some things may come off just naturally, you add other things that make you more valuable. And the other thing that he mentioned, we've talked about this here and there over the years, that while he doesn't come off as the loudest guy, right? He's not anywhere near the Marcheseau category of talking. That's the outside perspective. But he mentioned it. He talks. Guys have told us. 
He talks. Oh, yeah. I, I wonder, you know, it's hard to know for us because we're not on the ice or, or on the bench, but I wonder how his confidence or how that has grown over the course of these five years. Because now he's got to be one of those those guys who is that comfortable. Well, for sure. I think he, he understands what it is to be a leader, and everybody has different ways in which they lead. And, you know, communication on the ice between defensemen and, you know, as he said, him and Shea talk. But I think, you know, Braden's one of those guys that just – commands respect for the way he plays from his teammates, which makes him an automatic leader. Um, you know, I think, you know, the other thing gives him a lot of room. Anybody coming down that right wall on the offensive side is aware when he's on the ice. Look out. Because if you got your head down, we've seen it many times, and he doesn't need to do it much, but the presence of thought for that player that it might come, you come, you come down the wall a little different. But, yeah, I think he's just he, – he's one of those quiet leaders, and I think, you know, he knows – he probably gets vocal at the right times. He probably knows when he needs to be vocal, and it's not much. But when he is, he'll have the attention of you know, everyone. They haven't lost, Gary, since they got Martinez and McNabb back in the lineup. They, they won five in a row, but they, they won one game before the, they came back, and then they haven't lost since. Martinez joked around. They were down 3 nothing. His first game back against Chicago, 3 nothing down after two. Evidently had something to say in the in the second intermission, and then he said, "This is coming from a guy that's been out for four and a half yeah. months." But just those two voices, you know, the missing stones voice, you know, and, you know, Shane, you could when you're hurt, you're just right. You're not part of it, even if you're around the guys a bit. You're not part of it. Now nah, those two guys are back in it day to day, and what they bring to it's immeasurable. Well, the goaltending all of a sudden is way better. Has a result, they're not getting uh, a whole bunch of grade A chances against. And what do they say all the time? You build your team up the middle, right? You have your goalie, you have your defenseman, and you have your centers. And that's that's your that's the first thing you do. And then you expand from there. And those guys are uh, just like anytime they're on the ice, you don't think they're going to get Vegas is going to get scored on. They, every time one of those guys is on the ice, you think the shift is going to go smooth. And against whoever, like, you know, McNabb said that he didn't get to play against better players. Well, he's out there all the time against the best line for the opposition. And if you recall in the Chicago game, he didn't play. Kane and Debrinkit, they had a field day. And ever since then, every team they've played since then, their big guys have been nullified. Yeah, they didn't allow much. Like on that road trip, they, they, oh, no. they, they carried, uh, what, Three games was it three games in a row, Dan? They yeah. didn't allow a goal going into the third period. Right. Seattle, Seattle, mm-hmm. Vancouver. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Thompson much had over 120 yeah. shutout minutes. Yeah. yeah. Look at the look at the penalty kill in those games, McNabb was out. If you yeah. want to yeah, have a look right. at the impact, right, right, right. Uh, that's when it really mm-hmm. fell off. And uh yeah, just you know, two guys that come in and Martinez, you know, it's you know, his leadership and probably voice is as big as anybody in that room outside of the captain Mark Stone. I think the guy who's won it twice understands these moments, the these games, the importance of it to, to get to playoffs. And, you know, can they both bring a very calming presence on the ice and off the ice that uh, I think this team get, builds confidence and more of a belief because you have those guys and they always feel they can win. So uh, just, just huge additions here. And, uh, you know, and then Robin Leonard coming back too, I think, you know, that helps for them too to, to build up. And he played well. Uh, but as you said, the, you look at these last games with those guys in just a much looking different, like the way these games yeah. look in their own end. To your point, Shane, just a quick glance, yeah. but it, it was almost averaging a, a power play goal yep. against per yeah. game without, you know, without McNabb and Martinez in there. As we sit here, guys, on the 5th of April, taping this at almost 1230 Pacific, 
The Golden Knights are second in the wild card right now. Uh, they got a little help last night. Kings finally. lost. Finally. Um, they've got 11 games left, the Golden Knights. Dallas has three games in hand. The Stars finally lost the other night. Do they have enough? Can they can they get in there somehow, some way over these next three weeks? Somebody smarter than me. Anybody on the Long planet. Long list. Anybody on the planet. Long. Three right here. Said to me this morning, <laughs> three. What about, well, what about Floyd and what about Floyd Lauren? Lauren? Five and one. Behind the scenes. Said That's to right. me this morning, normally you would like having games in hand, but not now. You got to play. and Dallas has to play f- uh, 14 games in 25 nights. It, it, the, it, the schedule is really co- compact and compressed. It's good. There's going to be some. Now, Dallas is actually pretty lucky. They play 10 of their last 14 at home. But Nashville has a really tough schedule. Edmonton has a really tough schedule. And they got to play a lot of games in, in a short amount of night, in a, in a small space. So that's a, it's a, there's all these. You know, I was listening to the radio on the way over, listening to Sirius 91. And they were saying that. Vegas has a nine percent chance to get into the playoffs. Well, so every all of these formulas have different things factored in. I wonder how much of them have how many days you got to play your last fourteen games. Yeah, I mean you can make playoff numbers, te- say anything. Yeah, yeah want, and they're a playoff right? team today, <laughs> and but they only have nine percent of nine yeah, percent chance of making it. It could change. I don't know. I haven't looked. Is Dallas place tonight? I, I, I'm not sure. They could. It could change. It, it, they're in their stretch. They're in one day. They're out the next oh, I, day. Then they're yeah. back in. Edmonton and LA play each other next. Yeah, I yeah. So the other thing big. is, and I think we said this on the nighttime at noon program, Dave. If you take out the the wild card stuff and you look at just Vegas and Los Angeles, given that the Knights beat Los Angeles, that the Knights have a game in hand on the Kings, and the depleted roster that the Kings have. Now, Vegas has the depleted roster, too. But you'll wonder, how long can the Kings hang on? And they've got the fewest games left of anybody. And if you were to take everybody out of the equation and just look at the fact that Vegas, with a game in hand, is only four points behind L.A., you're thinking, Knights could overtake L.A. Not to say that they will or that the Kings won't have a great run here. But if you were to take everybody out, you just think... L.A., you, you could have a mark on their back. Pete DeBoer I, I was asked that this morning, Shane. Do you have a preference, wild card or stay within the Pacific to get in? Obviously, it doesn't happen. <laughs> no. You just want to get in. But we can look at what's their most realistic path to get in. Yeah. And I think that's probably it. I, 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 I thought all along it's the Kings. And you, the Pacific. Yeah. But we can talk about all that we want. It, it's on them. They've got to look after their own. We can sit here and talk scenarios and all that. Their focus has to be the game. Like, they have a chance to pull within two points of L.A. tomorrow with even games. All of a sudden, L.A. now is a little bit, ooh, uh, you know, that gap uh, isn't as close or has closed up on them. So a little more pressure and, and see how they handle that. But, uh, yeah, they've got to look after their own business. That's number one. Number two, yeah, you look at it, and I think the L.A. Kings are a good scenario. Who do you cheer for Thursday night, Edmonton or L.A.? That's my big I – Edmonton. Uh, yeah? Edmonton in regulation. Yeah, in regulation. Oh yeah, the last time points. all they played was a three-point game, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, they've had a few yeah. of those. Yeah. 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 So th- then as you then look at the Golden Knights, what they've been doing, sure, you get the goalie back and Leonard, you get Martinez and McNabb back on the blue line, but up front they remain challenged. So I wonder how – 
sustainable is this for the Knights to go 11-7, and seven, that two of those 11 forwards are Jake LeCision and Jonas Ronbjerg. No disrespect to those guys, but they were not supposed to be on the NHL roster this year. Here they are, both going to be 30 games plus. Is the, the current lineup, the 11-7 and seven configuration that they have, is that sustainable for the remaining 11 games? Well, for the short period, I believe it is. And the thing I like about it is uh, you now you're rolling out against the third-pairing defenseman when LeCision Ronberg, you got Jack Eichel in the middle, or you got Chandler Stevenson in the middle. You know, it's an ability and it's a tool right now for Pete DeBoer to utilize these guys because the schedule spread out. They play, you know, this, this is a great week for them to do it. Those yeah. guys can play 22 minutes a night, and you can try and catch some mismatch, especially on home ice. Yeah. You know, if that top line's tired, you can roll another guy, whether it's Carlson, whatever. You can plug in between those two guys and, you know, maybe get a bit of a mismatch. Because yeah, given the schedule that you yeah. just pointed out, I, I don't know if I'll go so far as saying it's a blessing in disguise, but at the very least, a silver lining yeah. of all of this. And we did see, just worth pointing out, Dylan Coglin at practice today was dressed as a forward. He was taking that shift yeah. with the fourth line. In game action, we've seen a few shifts up front. But mostly when Dylan has been on the ice, it's been on the power play in the spot where he normally is. And he does have two power play goals and two power play assists this year. It's all over the Twitters that Stone and Pacioretty uh, were seen skating through practice today. So they were skating on the other rink, doing work by themselves. And then when they were done, the main practice was ongoing and they skated through there. Now, Pete DeBoer said after... Uh, practice that they were not close. I don't know what that means. I don't well, get excited until they're yeah. told yeah, yeah, yeah. again. I, yeah. I, I, I said not reintegrated yet with yeah. the team, right? Yeah. I, and I think you know, the, you know, from a, when I go into players' perspective, you're not worried about that. No, you you can't think about the, the prospect of them coming back. When oh, is it going to be in a game? Is it going to be two? Is it going to be three? No, they're out until and, and, until they're out there. That's they're out. And I guess the question is going to be, can they make it without any of these guys coming back? Right now, it's eight men out. Stone and Pacioretty, you mentioned, uh, Gary, that you know they're back skating on their own. Pete DeBoer was asked point blank about Smith, Haig, Howden, Ambrosois. Not close. The Cavalry's not coming. <laughs> the Cavalry's not coming. Not coming. Now, that, he, that's he wasn't, not even the full list, by He the wasn't way. asked about Carrier Carrier Patrick. or Patrick. But those four guys, not close. Um, I don't know. Can they make it? It'd be without, pretty impressive if they can. Without anybody from that list. And you've got three of your top six forwards. You've got Nick Hague, who's in your been in your top four all year, and Carrier has been effective. Patrick and and, and Howden Sp- had a good year. Howden had a good year. Yeah. Patrick's you know obviously battled some injuries, and and Brossois is injured now too. Dave Pagnota said the other day that Todd McClellan should be the coach of the year for keeping the L.A. Kings getting L.A. into the playoffs with as many injuries as they've had, and I immediately responded to him what about Pete DeBoer you know and uh, I, I just think that Pete's done a remarkable job to keep to keep them relevant in a year where well who knows if they'll make it but yeah, they, yeah. one of those two is likely yeah, to make it I have the whole coaching staff yeah just their ability to, to come in you know the amount of times they've come to games and been given the list of players they had and had to you know probably have conversations meetings like literally a couple hours before the game, okay, what what line scenarios do we have for tonight? Yeah. What can we do here? They've given themselves a chance since that five-game road trip where they came away empty, right? They they came back home, won a couple, then went back to Minnesota and Winnipeg. I think they felt 
they maybe deserved a little bit out of those games. Now, it's, it sounds a little bit hollow. They got shut out both games, but they had great starts and weren't able to score. Then they come back. You know, you think about some of the – you can look and say, well, they beat Seattle twice. They beat a, a good Nashville team, right? That was part of this. Um, you know, Vancouver's just trying to kind of hang it. I mean, they're done, but, um, you know, they came back against Chicago down 3 nothing. Didn't do anything for the first two periods. Came back and found a way to win. Um, I keep looking, guys, at this trip to end the season. Dallas, Chicago, St. Louis. I said to you yesterday on the radio, Dan, that Dallas game just jumps off the page. Yeah, yeah, sure does. Like, is that the game that might de- – I, I hope they're still – hanging around and they've they've made a, made a hell of a push here lately or does it come down to game 82 this game in st louis where it might even get down to that where are they going to make it or not make it yeah if you think about it, like that could be a winner go home for both sides for both yeah, for exactly both sides right. It, it, and of course it's strange to have the devils and the capitals in the mix here yeah. you've got uh yeah. there's you know we're down to the final 11, and six of them are on the road. There's two different trips, Vancouver, Calgary, Edmonton, and then the three that you just mentioned in Dallas, Chicago, and St. Louis. And this has gone from a team that was better on the road than it was at home, and the, the script had been flipped of late, and that they'd been much better at home. You wonder if they, you know, I, I always kind of wonder about the splits, and sometimes they tell you something that doesn't jive with reality. But, you know, they have not too many short little trips. It's, it's, Two trips that are three games each, only one back-to-back left. And at the very least, I don't think that at any point in the remaining 11 games you're going to have to say, well, the Knights were tired or they, you know, they had to travel or whatever. You know, that, you know that, that the only back-to-back is that trip to Chicago. You're not going to be able to, to blame the circumstances. Um, it's going to be, are they playing the way that they need to be playing? Yeah, yeah, they finally get a little breather in their schedule, right? Yeah. As we sit here, they play tomorrow on Wednesday. They don't play again until Saturday. One back-to-back left, Dallas, Chicago, games 80 and 81. Yeah. And then the question will be, in terms of goaltending, Robin Leonard's back. Logan Thompson had that great run. How do they divvy up these remaining 11 games? And we talked about this on the radio, you and I, yesterday, Dave. Gary and Shane, do you have any thoughts on on how? Well, my opinion isn't popular because I wouldn't have played Leonard on on Sunday. I play who wins. Yeah. I would have played Logan. Would, I'm with Robin Leonard right now. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah, he won a game, so yeah. But like, I, I don't know if I would have taken Thompson out of the net. To, I get that Robin Leonard is the $5 million goalie. He's the number one. But what are we doing here? It's, <laughs> they got to win them all, right? Yeah. So um, I would have gone with Thompson. You know, and then someone might say to me, well, he would have been tired. It's the th- you know, third game of a road trip. He'd already played two games. Uh, just with the d- days off. Um, coming up for the next game, I thought that Leonard was. I would have played Leonard at home, maybe, but uh, but probably not if Thompson had a one. I think they have a sense now, Shane. Maybe that you know, look, there was a stretch here. They there were some bad goals let in by be it Thompson or Brossois, on especially on that road trip. Um, now it seems, anyways, with Leonard coming back, they're in a better spot because Thompson's played well. Yes, right? he's built some confidence and built some wins on his resume, where they have seemingly a tandem where they can trust. Both guys. Oh, that's what I think right now is, he, and you know, Pete DeBoer talked about it. it just it's like playoffs, and and Braden McNabb mentioned where this is our playoffs now. Every game is an approach, and we know maybe the most important thing on, is goaltending. You know, and, and being able to find some offense, obviously, but goaltending is a huge factor. It's uh, right now you need your goalies to be better than the other goalie, and uh, you know, Robin Leonard spoke this morning and said the same thing. 
He, he, yeah. he needs to be better. So I, I think he's the veteran guy. And, you know, this time of the year, you've got to give him, you know, that first chance to go with it. He's healthy. Um, but if it doesn't work out, you're very comfortable switching it up. They have zero margin for error. No. Anything here. You know, and I, I mentioned on TV, Shane, a few times, but, you know, you look at these, the regulation losses are the ones that just, you call it a loser point, you call it whatever you want, but to squeak out a point in overtime, to squeak out a point with a shootout loss, whatever it might be, it's worth noting, and Dan and I touched on this on the, on the radio show yesterday, a little different this year, right? If it does come to a tiebreaker, and it's very conceivable it could, it's regulation wins, not regulation and overtime wins, yeah. right? Is added column now regulation wins. Then, if that doesn't break it, regulation and overtime wins where uh, you'd be looking at. But um, it conceivably, that's how tight it is right now. It could come down to that. And the regulation wins. You know, obviously, there are eleven games left for Vegas, so who knows how the number changes? But Vegas has thirty-one out of its uh, uh, out of its thirty-nine wins. Dallas only has twenty-five yeah. Yeah. regulation wins. And the Kings have 29. In other words, the Knights have more regulation wins than either Los, An- Los Angeles or Dallas, uh, one behind Nashville and uh, and one behind Edmonton as well. So if you're looking at, you know, if there are tiebreakers in there, should those numbers stay on trend, that Vegas would have the tiebreaker over Dallas and Los Angeles. That's a great point. Dallas has 10 wins in overtime. Yeah. 10. Yeah, Vegas, Vegas, Vegas just picked up its fourth the other night. They haven't. They haven't. Picked up a lot of. They, they don't have any shootout losses. They haven't got. Any, they haven't got very many loser points. They're four right. and one in the shootout, yeah. right? And they've lost three games in overtime, mm-hmm. so they get four loser points right. as we sit here right yeah. now. But points that could be valuable down the stretch. All right, boys. So we'll see if um, we'll yeah. see if they can do it. Right Vancouver, down to the final three weeks. Two more times. Well, this, this is this is a fun time of the year. I said, like we got a week and a half. Who knows that game was next Friday in Edmonton. Oh boy. However things play out, that monster game. That could be a monster. Like, well, it's going to be mon- monster game no matter what, but it could be two teams, uh, one to leap the other at that point. Mm. Look, we're used to them cruising into the I playoffs. Know. <laughs> but it does make up for a hell of an interesting final it's a different sort weeks. of fun. Yeah, for sure. So Edging your seat. Yeah. yeah. Tune in on TV, on the radio, whatever you choose. And uh, tune in next time as well when we talk to you on the Sheriff Lawless and Some Guy Named Dave podcast.